the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app. Tim DeMoss Show, famous Friday edition. Thank you for tuning in. Kind of cloudy with a little sun. Maybe a shower before the day is done. 71 the high, 54 the low tonight. Tomorrow, kind of cloudy with a shower possible early, but getting sunnier as the day rolls along. A high of 64 and Sunday. Good deal of sunshine with a high of 60. Phillies lost 2-1 to Arizona last night. Still lead the series two games to one. Trey Turner on the importance of not letting the loss linger and bouncing right back. Done it all year, so just another day. We know what's at stake. We've been playing good. You know, we played a pretty good game today, minus you know a couple things here or there. So you know, feel confident in ourselves. Trey Turner of the Phillies, also Bryce Harper chatting after last night's loss. You know, we finally got one, and then you know they got one, and they were able to you know capitalize on stuff that we weren't able to capitalize on. So yeah, I just thought both guys threw really well today, and sometimes it'll happen. You know, we're we're here at their place, so you know they played played a really good game today. You know, I thought both sides, good defense, good pitching. Just got to move on as quick as possible and, and get on to tomorrow. Bryce Harper of the Phillies, Trey Turner before that, sound courtesy of MLB.com. First pitch tonight, 8.07, Christopher Sanchez on the mound for the Phils. Also last night, Houston 10-3 over Texas to take Game 4 of the American League Championship Series, which is currently tied two games apiece. Game 5 is tonight, starting at 5.37. Flyers beat Edmonton 4-1 last night. Cam Atkinson leading the way with a couple of goals. Joel Farabee and defenseman Sean Walker each with a goal as well. And Carter Hart with 22 saves. The key to last night's win, head coach John Tortorella. Well, I thought tonight we checked well. I thought not only checking, but I thought we were clean through the neutral zone. We didn't turn many over. You, you just can't turn it over with that team. Their offensive people don't want to play in their end zone, so we really tried to concentrate on just placing pucks in their end zone and playing there. Uh, so getting through the neutral zone clean was a very important part of tonight's game. Flyers head coach John Tortorella, sound courtesy of PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. Preseason hoops tonight, Sixers home against Atlanta at 7. The Eagles home Sunday night against Miami at 825. Suiting up for the Eagles, newcomer Julio Jones. Philly is an amazing place. The people here, the fans here, everything. Like last night, I think it was a soccer game going on, a hockey game going on, a baseball game going on. It was it was packed. Like You couldn't even, I stay like seven minutes from here now. It took like 20, 30 minutes just to go a mile and a half down the road. Like, it was crazy. So, I mean, Philly does a great job on um, with their fan base coming out and supporting, you know, their ball clubs and, and, and their sports. That's Julio Jones, wide receiver, many years for the Falcons, played for a couple other teams too, including Tampa Bay, and now with the Philadelphia Eagles, quarterback Jalen Hurts, his thoughts on the signing of Julio Jones. He's a guy that's, you know, coming in, and he's a, he's about he's about his craft. Obviously, knowing where he comes from and, Knowing kind of where, where our background resides, he has that mentality. He's a future Hall of Famer. I mean, he, he's as good as it gets, you know. So he's coming in with the, with the with a great mentality and a great person to add to this team. Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts, sound courtesy of PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Tonight in Hershey at the Giant Center, it's the Gaither Homecoming Celebration Concert. It's also happening tomorrow afternoon. You can get a one-day or a two-day ticket. We had Kevin Williams, guitar player, band leader, an overall funny guy who has been with the Gaithers for several decades on the program on Monday. We pulled out all the stops uh, for this year in Hershey. First of all, we always loved going to that arena there in Hershey. We used to do uh, Christmas programs there a lot and uh, try to get there every year or two, you know. Yeah. Uh, we don't do that many homecoming programs anymore. It's mostly Gaither vocal band uh, evenings, and so we're able to go some places that we normally couldn't go with the bigger entourage. But uh, a couple times a year, we will do 
these big two-day homecoming events. And we said, we got to take that to Hershey. And so that's what we're doing. Friday and Saturday, Friday starts at 6.30, Saturday starts at 2 in the afternoon, so we can sing everything that we haven't sung on Friday. Right. <laughs> and uh, we got the Gaither vocal band with uh, an 87-year-old legend, Mr. Bill Gaither himself. Uh, of course, all the vocal band guys, myself, will be there. And then um, a stage full of uh, gospel legendary artists are going to be there. Everything, everybody from uh, uh, Mark Lowry and the Booth Brothers and Karen Peck and New River and the Neelands uh, to artists like Angie Prim, Gene McDonald, and uh, Joseph Habedank. And I could just go on and on and on. So um, we'll all sing together. You know, we, we'll all do a little bit ourselves and then come together and sing together like uh, you would see on one of those Gaither Homecoming videos. Uh, and it's just a, a magical time. We did this uh, a while back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and this is the only other homecoming event like this that we will do this year. So, wow. Uh, definitely worth seeing, yeah. It's Kevin Williams, guitar player for the Gaithers. He's their band leader, an overall funny guy who shared more about his role in tonight and tomorrow afternoon's concerts in Hershey. It's a mischief ministry, I like to call it. <laughs> oh, is and, that so? Uh, I do love to have a good time, and I love to make people laugh, and, and we're going to do a lot of that. And we're going to celebrate Jesus' name, just have a great time. It's it's going to be an experience like no other. People say, what's a Gaither concert like, you know? And I don't have good verbiage for that, to be honest with you. It's, it's truly an experience. We don't have a list of songs that I'm going down, and we're going to sing this, and then we're going to sing that. Mr. Gaither is just saying, hey, let's do this, let's do that. It's so informal in a sense yeah and it's magical it's just beautiful so um, and terrifying for you to have to be prepared for everything at the uh, no, no moment's notice <laughs> you know that's funny our drummer's been with us about a year now and he said what's the main thing i need to know and i said 600 songs <laughs> and he, he said are you serious i said i'm deadly serious about this yeah there's there's such a catalog of not only gaither material but uh our other artists that we will back you know jason crab will be on there and uh this uh, chris blue that won the voice a few years ago he'll be on so, yeah, there's a lot of material to learn, and I never know what we're doing. I just hang on. That's Kevin Williams, guitar player and band leader with the Gaithers, Mischief Maker 2, who further elaborated a bit on what it's like to be on stage as this is unfolding. It's funny, you know, you, you could have your song already that you're going to sing when you get on stage, and Mr. Gaither might change that as soon as you get out there. <laughs> And, Thank and you, he Bill. might not tell you, yeah. you know, and, and so all Why of a sudden not? the band is, is playing. Yeah, the band is playing something that you think might be a mistake. And now you realize, oh, no, I've got to sing that, you know, it, it's really different. And he just follows uh, that that beautiful uh, sensitivity of his in the moment. So so <laughs> that's the most unnerving part for me and has been for the 31 years is what are we doing next? You know, yeah. and uh, he'll turn around and he'll say you know, such and such. And and then he doesn't speak very clearly sometimes. His enunciation, you know, uh, is, is uh, quite different because yeah. he stutters and, and that kind of thing. And, and so he'll turn around and go, blah, blah, and which, of course, is the king is coming. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we, but, but we've, we've learned to kind of kind of manipulate around that and deal with that. This I think is, that's what makes it incredible. You know? This sounds like uh, the Israelites having to not only make bricks, but, you know, without straw, they have to find their own straw. <laughs> yes. That's exactly right. Yeah, we're finding our straw on the Gaither stage. That's exactly right. <laughs> Again, that's Kevin Williams, who joined our program on Monday in concert tonight at the Giant Center in Hershey and tomorrow afternoon as well. You can get a one-day or a two-day pass, Gaither.com, for more info on that. Andy Napier from Transworld Radio also joined our program. That was Wednesday of this week, talking about the wind-up radios we're trying to send to Africa. When we're talking about Africa, many parts of that continent don't have electricity. Also, in many cases, you're talking about poor people that can't even afford batteries for a radio. So what we decided was let's provide wind-up radios. And these wind-up radios have AM, FM, and shortwave. Uh, they can pick up, you know, no matter where you are in Africa, you'll be able to pick up a TWR signal. But then on top of that, they even have this emergency light so that you can, let's say that you're living in a village that's out from the city, there's no electricity, it's dark at night. They can even turn on that emergency light, this bright light, and they can use that in their home or outside as they listen to the radio. Wow. So what's really neat about these is that not only does it have a light that they can use, but it's the light of Christ that's coming through the airwaves, through that radio, 
and into their lives. Dandy Napier with Transworld Radio, TWR, on the program a couple of days ago. If you'd like to step in and help out by providing a wind-up radio for someone in Africa who could use it to hear the gospel and to be blessed, 888-988-5656. 888-988-5656. Or click the Africa Needs Jesus banner on our homepage at WFIL.com. Thank you to Elizabeth and Lafayette Hill and Lee and King of Prussia who have been part of that. And again, we appreciate your prayers for this endeavor as well. A really packed program already and much more to come. Adam Holtz, the director of Plugged In for Focus on the Family, going to be joining us talking about, among other things, the new movie, Killers of the Flower Moon. We also have Dallas Jenkins, writer, producer, and director of The Chosen, which you can catch on The CW Sunday nights at 8. He's son of the well-known author Jerry B. Jenkins from the Left Behind series. But before we get to any of that, we're going right to our first pair of guests, co-directors of the classic film Airplane. David Zucker and Jim Abrahams, authors of a new book called Surely You Can't Be Serious, The True Story of Airplane. How are you guys doing? We're Good. great. Thank you. Thank you for taking time. Kind of enjoying, kind of enjoying the Eagles. Are you? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're really they're fun to watch. It's true. Even though we're we're devout Packer fans. Packers are a good team to root for too. Historic franchise. Yeah. I like rooting for you know teams that have been around for many years. Yeah. Yeah. Share a little backstory if you would on uh, Shirley. You can't be serious. Has this been going on for you for a long time in terms of putting this together, or is this something you always knew you wanted to do? Just now is the right time. Well, you know, we had the idea about 10 years ago, and we, we wanted to hit that 40-year anniversary. But as it happens, it's the 43-year anniversary, and uh, it's, it's never too late. And, yeah. and so, and so we, but we had a great time writing the book, of course. And the main thing is, you know, the three of us, you know, we, we remained in contact for all these years. I mean, we watched the, the Packers every Sunday, but uh, we hadn't really worked together in a long time. And, uh, and this was a joy just, and the same dynamics worked, you know, in the past few years, putting the book together as they did uh, years ago doing airplane. And you've known each other. I think we were, we were all sort of so blown away by the fact that airplane had stuck around for all these years and remained very popular. We thought, well, this it would be kind of cool to write a book so that someday if our kids our grandkids or somebody was interested in figuring out what happened all those years ago, they'd have a record. Absolutely. You know, I look at the cast of Airplane, diverse, impressive, big, and all that. How did you get such a diverse group together? Was it a bit of a snowball effect when one actor kind of finds someone else's in? And it's new territory being established, so maybe that was also of interest to people who normally wouldn't have maybe done something, especially as first-time you know, filmmakers. started off with the, the serious actors like Stack Bridges, Graves, and Nielsen, they were kind of the first ones to be cast. And uh, that was, a, I mean, the studio was okay with it. I don't know if our casting director was, was so comfortable with it because uh, we were pitching a comedy without without comedians. And that, that was a tough one. And then when these, these uh, the actors had differing reactions to the script, Peter Graves, threw it across the room and said, this is the worst piece of trash I've ever read. <laughs> and it's in the worst taste. And, uh, but our, our, our executive producer, Howard Koch, who was in his fifties, sixties had called up. He knew Peter called him and said, why don't you come and meet the guys? Uh, and, uh, I, I'm sure he thought we were like these, you know, wild eyed drugged out weirdos, but we were these preppy guys from Milwaukee. And, uh, Somehow, uh, he trusted Howard. Maybe, maybe not us, but he was uh, he was he was okay with it. And Stack wanted to know who else was going to be in it. Leslie thought, uh, you know, gee, he told his agent, and we say this in the book: don't tell them that this, but I'd pay them to do it. Leslie got it from the start. Wow, he loved it. Wow, and uh, Lloyd Bridges actually was convinced to do it because his kids, Bo. And Jeff kind of read the script and talked him into it. And that's pretty much what happened also to Peter Graves. I think his wife and his daughter were, you know, were very much in favor of doing it. What do you think Airplane's biggest contributions to comedy have been when you look back at it now all these years later? Well, it's hard to tell from, we're kind of inside the forest, but in the book, a lot of people who came after us comment on what an influence it was. And uh, like Bill Hader says, they didn't realize straight people, you know, serious actors could be funny. And I think 
it was our natural instinct. And I don't think we never aimed any higher than you don't have to take things seriously. And when, you know, we had no political agenda or anything like that when we made Airplane. And when you think about this, something very endearing about that whole notion, you don't have to take yourself so seriously. You don't have to take a lot of stuff so seriously. And when you don't, and you, when you can have a laugh at your own expense, that's kind of fun and endearing. And it, it really did change the perspective of whoever, whatever comedy writers and directors came after us. I think they started thinking about it differently. You know, in the uh, in the book, one of the pages that I found interesting was the, the Zaz 15 rules. Very insightful. Not time to go into all of them now, but how, when did that, like, when, when was the 15 done? Like, when did you get to 15? Because uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of learning, I'm sure, that goes into coming up with them. I think we started thinking about what went into our comedy uh, probably in 72 when we first opened our show in L.A. And uh, one of Jim's friends from back in Madison saw the show and said, "Uh, yeah, the show is great, but there was one... Uh, there was one scene when the straight character was being funny and the funny character, and so it you can't do a joke on a joke. And so, boom, that was our first rule. And then I think we got other rules as we went along, and we really used them as a kind of a shorthand to save time. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the most powerful, I think, of, or if that's the right word, um, most valuable of the 15 rules is the 15th rule, which is there are no rules. <laughs> right. But only right. Jedi can yeah. Hey, David, I understand you're going to be at the Free Library of Philadelphia Monday the 23rd at 7.30. Well, what, what's happening that night, and how, how do you uh, folks want to attend? What's in store for them? But it's going to be all about me. Right. And, and look, David, you're going to be dancing, aren't you, David? I can do I've, – I've practiced tap dancing. and uh, That'll draw and a crowd. to be a, yeah, that'll draw a crowd. And I do tricks <laughs> while I sign the book. <laughs> so anyone who wants to see that and, uh, you know, I, people will be surprised at how good I look, I think. Okay. <laughs> a little Q&A? We might, maybe a chance to chat a little bit about the, the you know. Well, I love to answer questions because I, I actually know the answer. Yes. So, yeah. That's yeah. a great perk. Hey, thank you so much. Oh. David Zucker, Jimmy Abrahams, thank you so much for taking time today. Yeah, make make sure you keep David's questions very limited. Yeah, with, with no big words. <laughs> I'm with you there. David Zucker, Jim Abrahams, co-directors of Airplane, joining us on the program today. Quick break, come back with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In, and also Dallas Jenkins, director of The Chosen, all part of the program. Plus, now that's plenty. All happened today on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. AM560 WFIL, it's the Tim DeMoss Show. Glad to bring on board Adam, the real deal, Holtz. From, <laughs> from Focus on the Family. You have a new nickname every time you're on the show, you understand. You know, I appreciate that. It's uh, I'll just keep adding them to my uh, my Facebook profile. I guess that's good. Probably Dur- not actually, but you know. <laughs> well, you can feel free, uh, right? Director of PluggedIn.com from Focus on the Family and the Plugged In Show podcast and many other endeavors I know nothing about. I'm sure, but <laughs> but uh, but today's a special day. It's our famous Friday show, and I wanted to pick your brain on a few things. Before we yeah. do that, uh, you know, just give a, give that reader that elevator speech so folks know a little bit about what you are doing with Plugged In. Yeah, Plugged In is Focus on the Family's media discernment website. We review movies, books, television, video games, TV shows, uh, YouTube channels, technology trends, that sort of thing. We want to do two things. We want to be your one-stop shop to know what's happening that's buzzworthy in the culture and that you can know the content that's in there. So if you want to know what's happening in a, in a hot movie and you know what do I need to know before I green light it or red light it for my kids at a deeper level and i would say this is really our heartbeat 
we want to equip and encourage you to think biblically about entertainment and to integrate and really cultivate that biblical worldview so that you can do that work on your own, even if you don't have a chance to go look at Plugged In's reviews, that you're learning to help your kids ask those critical thinking questions from a Christian point of view. So that is what we're about. We publish about 25 reviews a week of different things. And as you mentioned, we have a podcast as well called The Plugged In Show. It's amazing, and you'll never, you'll never be out of a job because there's so, so much to well, review. <laughs> right? There's well, so yeah. much to review. Absolutely. Yeah. And in addition to – I mean, you may, may have said that there were movies, but there's, there's all the other worlds of gaming and so, yep. so much to tackle. Uh, I, guess, I guess movies is the, is the main focus, but people yep. come to you for all kinds of things too, the books and everything else. Yeah. Yeah, movies are our bread and butter. I mean, just in terms of percentage of traffic, but you know, even for the things that maybe don't get as many, uh, you know, views, they're important things that are shaping our kids and shaping our culture. So we want to give you what you need to know about those things. Yeah. Well, to have you on today is great because it is actually very timely in a lot of ways. Uh, had already had on the program David Zucker and Jim Abrahams, co-directors of the film Airplane, the uh, the classic. And, and they have a book out called Surely You Can't Be Serious, The True Story of Airplane. <laughs> so, Love that. Uh, yeah. I mean, you have to be a certain age to get the joke, but you and I both get the joke. Yes, that's right. Now, what, <laughs> interesting. So it was interesting conversation. You know, I get these opportunities every now and again yeah. to have guests on who, you know, I don't know what they believe, where they're coming from with the Lord or anything like that. But just to talk about some piece of culture that people yeah. know about. In those conversations, I you know certainly look for the good and what can be gleaned and what insights I can get while avoiding perhaps certain things that aren't what I would normally be uh, looking into or looking after, so to speak. At Plugged In, what's different for you is you are presenting to people different content that's already been created and helping them sort through it. Uh, so it's not as though you're trying to necessarily sell a book or sell a movie or something. But that said... What do you think a believer's position should be on these things when engaging or having the opportunity to engage the culture at large? You know, that's a great question. I mean, there are certain things like, let's take things that are fairly black and white, uh, and then let's have a nuanced discussion about it. So let's just take language. I mean, I could deal with sexuality, but language is even more, I think, black and white than, than sexuality. So we keep track of harsh language in a movie and different people are going to have different sensitivities with regard to, do you want to engage with a story that has that content in it? And different people will respond differently to the question, does that content really serve the story? You know, and, and even within Christian filmmaking, you're not going to get a lot of profanity in Christian filmmaking, But there is a conversation to be had about when we totally sanitize everything, do we present a picture of the world that is so squeaky clean that people who actually live in the world can't relate to it? Now, I'm sort of just free associating off on a tangent here. Yeah, I get it. But we try to keep both of those perspectives in mind, right? Um, Wolf of Wall Street, for example, is a very well-told cautionary tale about what happens when greed can, you know, just absolutely consume somebody. It's also got something like 500 F words. And so one of the questions that I began asking myself, even before I started working at Plugged In, uh, I remember back in 1999, I saw the movie American Beauty and Kevin Spacey's in it. It's about a 40 something man at that point who's having really kind of an existential crisis, and he comes right up to the brink of having an affair with um, his daughter's best friend, who's in high school, played by Mina Suvari, and then kind of has this come-to-his-senses moment of, what are you doing? What am I doing? Um, So there is a moment of redemption at the end, but I came out of that thinking, that was a brilliant picture of depravity do I have to see a brilliant depiction of depravity to know that depravity is depraved? Yeah. And I think most of the time the answer is no. And I think some of the time we may want to see something to participate in the conversation. But I think a lot of times we can also participate in those conversations without exposing ourselves to, you know, to filth, really. Um, And I think that we also make a distinction between, and again, there's there's a degree of subjectivity here, 
I actually have an easier time dealing with an R-rated movie that's telling a serious story and has some serious content issues because there's a point to be made than a gratuitous and silly PG-13 movie that the content may not be as bad, but the worldview's awful, there's no consequences, and we're invited to just laugh at things that are sinful. Hmm. Um, I'll take the serious R-rated movie over a silly PG-13 comedy that invites me to belittle sin almost any day of the week. But, you know, I think all of this goes into what Paul talks about in First and Second Corinthians with gray areas, right, with things that are uh, disputable matters. And he says a couple of times, he says, he's quoting a saying, he says, you say everything is permissible, and then he comes back and says, but not everything is beneficial. Hmm. And then he comes back and says it later, everything is, is permissible, but not everything is constructive, and I won't be mastered by anything. And so I think asking the question with our entertainment choices, Tim, is it beneficial? Is it constructive? And we can wade into a hard story that actually has some redemptive outcomes. And we also might want to say no to some things that, even though it's not that bad, actually what's there is is a total waste of time. Interesting. That's good. If you're just tuning in, chat with Adam Holtz from uh, Focus on the Family and Plugged In. Uh, you, you said a lot of good stuff there, and I'm thinking a case in point of what you're talking about, a film that actually is out today, I believe, on PluggedIn.com, the review of Killers of the Flower Moon just went yeah. up. <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's, that's right. R-rated, right? It's a biography, it's a right. history thing, but a crime and a drama, but it does, it's not squeaky clean by any stretch. No, it's not. And it's, it's one of those things, that I think the other thing that we often deal with is what I have termed the relative judgment versus the absolute judgment. And actually, this Martin Scorsese film, relative to a lot of the other things that he's done, The Revenant, Wolf of Wall Street, I mean, you can just go down the list. He has some really dark stuff. Yeah. This one has quite a bit of violence, but it doesn't have that much sexual content. And it doesn't have, relatively speaking, nearly as much profanity as some of of the films he has made in the past have had. And so... It's one that is looking at the Osage Indian tribe in Oklahoma and how they ended up on land that had oil on it. And everybody basically tried to bilk this people out of their land, including up to and including beginning to murder them. And that's the story that's being told here. It's a really interesting story relative to his other R-rated movies. It's not as graphic as some but it's still a gritty story, right? Do yeah. you want to take two, two and a half hours to engage with that story? And I think that we want to be intentional, right? You know, what, what's the point of engaging with a hard story? And there may be a very deliberate point, and there may not be. Interesting. Well, then jumping back in time, and when I began, we began the conversation here, mentioning our earlier guests, David Zucker and Jim Abrahams. Very yeah. pleasant guests, great guests. I enjoyed having them on, the co-directors of Airplane and this new book, Surely You Can't Be Serious, The True Story of Airplane. They have what I would call in, in, the, uh, in the book something called the Zaz 15 Rules because it, it was <laughs> David Zucker and his brother as well as Jim Abrahams making up the ZAZ. And uh-huh. looking at this, it's really interesting stuff. Like, number one, it's called Joke on Joke. Two jokes at the same time cancel each other out. If the joke is in the background, the foreground action should be serious and vice versa. Focus on one joke at a time. And the rest of them are like this. This is stuff they have learned over the years in all the films they've done. And it's like, uh, you know, Ten Commandments, but 15. And it's the, it's Zaz, right. not God. But it's, uh, it's like from a creative standpoint, and if you're looking to make films, you can learn a lot from these guys. You know, right. so I, when I, I'm just saying when I read, I tend to look at for the positive. But as you say, be very careful about what's surrounding and help help there be something positive that comes out of it. And then even then, sometimes you have to say, you know what, I'm going to pass on this. Right. I love what you said earlier to reflect. You don't want to create such a sanitized view of life that you don't you don't you're, you're ignoring the harshness and the, and, the, and the brokenness of the world, but do you need to overexpose yourself to it or do you need to expose yourself to a certain thing just to appreciate it? I don't, I don't have to do all of that, no. That's exactly right. And what I think is interesting about your example with their rules, I think what it illustrates is that skilled storytellers know what they're doing. They're very deliberate and they're very intentional. And every piece of artistic 
expression and commercial expression, and I mean commercials like literally, like commercials, every one of those stories has a worldview. And those worldviews are all shaped by the creators. And most of the time, we will get worldviews that are kind of jumbled up. There are things that are going to be in sync with what we hold to as Christians. And there are going to be things that really are working against it. And so I think just asking the most basic question, I had a a professor in college, my Shakespeare professor, best teacher I ever had, and she would start every class discussion with the question, what's going on here? And so before she would let us interpret Shakespeare, she said, you need to look carefully. We have to observe. We have to see. And she would talk about, she talked about King Lear. There's a line in King Lear where Gloucester tells Lear, see better. We need to be practicing seeing better what's going on in the culture. And then, you know, when we make that observation, we're engaged critically. We're engaged with a level of intentionality. We're not just letting it wash over us you know, passively. And that's what the creators of a lot of this content, they want us to just be mindless vegetables, right? Um, so yeah, that's what they say I, amusement know, I, means, I, I, right? I, I, amusement yeah, exactly. means amuse. Like amuse, exactly. <laughs> opposite of musing. Yep. So, you know, I think just understanding that these guys created this story very deliberately, I find that really interesting. And I think it's a good reminder. People are creating stories deliberately. Let's be alert to where they're coming from, Hmm. both for better or for worse, right? Yes. Yes. It's all good stuff. I like it. I like it, Adam. And for folks who want to also catch your podcast, just so folks uh, understand, they can grab that. How often do you do do those and where can they find them? Once a week. It's at com. one word, thepluggedinshow.com. Or you can just come to pluggedin.com and there's a tab up in the upper right-hand corner. And and these are the kind of conversations we, we want to have. You know, on one hand, we are chronicling the content. A lot of times that content is pretty black and white. But we also understand that there's a bigger conversation here and we want to equip you, especially as families, to be having that. I think that's my, my heartbeat is that what we do would help you as parents to shape your kids so that they're able to think critically because they're going to go out into the world, into this marketplace of images and ideas and values and have to sort it out. And they need to practice doing that with us at home if we hope to have them be able to do that successfully, you know, when they eventually leave the nest. That's good stuff. By the way, what's your victory vector? (laughs) (laughs) Roger, Roger. Roger, All those lines. My favorite one is when the photographers are leaving the police chief's office. Let's take some picture, boys. And they take the pictures off the walls. <laughs> so, it's a funny movie. It's it a it funny is. You've got to navigate it carefully, but there's, there are some, yes. some fun ones in it. By the way, what was funny also in the conversation in the book with uh, David Zucker and Jim Abrahams, uh, the co-directors of Airplane, that we had earlier in the hour, they talked about when they pitched the film Airplane to the movie company they were getting pushback because, or resistance, whatever, because basically they were pitching a comedy with no comedians in it. It was all actors and actresses they watched growing up on TV who they respected a lot and who were known for their serious roles, but not for their comedy roles. And the script itself has these serious people saying funny things, but with a straight face. It's a very groundbreaking novel idea. So that's part of the reason right. why. I mean, they, they created a new genre almost overnight, right? I mean, it became a thing. And they were, it was, I think, in some ways, the beginning of our meta culture. And meta is when, you know, culture commentates, comments on other layers of culture. And so there was, you know, we're going to take the disaster genre and we're going to use all the tropes, but we're going to wink at you the whole time. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. Adam, thank you for carving out time on short notice to hop on the show. We really appreciate it. You bet. Anytime, Tim. God Thank bless you. you. Have a great on. rest of your day. Thanks. It's Adam Holtz, director of PluggedIn.com from Focus on the Family. He and his staff review movies, TV, music, games, books, YouTube channels, all that to help you navigate the culture, the things you're taking in, and how you take those things in. Just giving you some context for that. Taking a quick break, and then we're bringing on board Dallas Jenkins, writer, producer, director of The Chosen. You catch us Sundays at 8 p.m. on The CW. Listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Live and local. 
It's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app, you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Bring it on board now. Dallas Jenkins, writer, producer, director of The Chosen, which you can catch Sunday nights at 8 on the CW. Dallas also the son of well-known author Jerry B. Jenkins from the Left Behind series, among others. Dallas, how you doing? Thanks for joining the show. Good, good. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. I think we have a little common ground here. I think you might know my older brother, Bob DeMoss. Of course, of course. That's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. He and your dad I had a little overlap, and also with the, with the uh, Left Behind series with with Tim LaHaye. So, in fact, I was yeah. t- talking to Bob the other day, and he said, "Yeah, we just saw each other. I'm not sure where you were, but something in conjunction with the Chosen." So that's neat. He he's yeah. a big influence in my life. So I uh, a lot of what I do is because I was cha- I was in his little shadow, and I was helping him with different things that he did over the years, including working in radio. So oh, very cool. Yeah. Sure. I was going to actually ask you about the chosen. Uh, maybe I can jump to this even initially. Your, if you could speak about your dad for a moment, Jerry B. Jenkins, and the influence that he had on your life as it pertains to the chosen, but also in general, just spiritually speaking, things you observed about him or things that you wound up being taught by him directly. Yeah. So my my dad's had a huge influence on me and the chosen in multiple ways. Um one of the ways has been the fact that when when he did the Left Behind books, which became an international phenomenon, I saw him not get arrogant from that. I saw him get humbled by it. I saw him realize, okay, I'm not this good. I'm not responsible for this much success. I need to make sure I'm focused on the work and not trying to avoid criticism or gain praise. That has influenced me significantly. As The Chosen has grown, as The Chosen has increased its reach around the world to an overwhelming degree, Way more, of course, than when we started, where there was we were starting from scratch. My dad's example has been uh, immense for me, and I think it's contributed to significantly me uh, making sure that I'm just focused on the work and not focused on the, the success or lack thereof. But also, um, my dad loved movies. My dad, uh, when, you know, when I was in middle school, is when he finally started introducing me to some of the great movies and TV of all time, and and uh, that had a huge influence on me uh, as I got into middle school and high school. But then, of course, more than anything else, my dad was a, or is, he's still, he's still alive and kicking, but um, my dad is a strong, strong, passionate follower of Jesus. And while, I, you know, we always tell people, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to love the chosen, but it is influenced and made by someone who is. And uh, my dad had a huge, huge uh, role in that by being an amazing father, I mean, an amazing husband, and by living out an example of living uh, and attempting to be like Christ. And uh, that, that uh, of course, is informed not only my life, but ultimately I don't think it's possible for me to have made the chosen um, without knowing what I know and seeing what I've seen and being led by someone like my father. I love that answer. Actually, I had um, heard an interview you did with Kirk Cameron where you shared kind of along those lines um, something very important, I guess is the word, the story about the five loaves and two fishes, which would also kind of piggyback on what you just said there about what your dad said. This is not all about me or I didn't do this. And, but I did, I just did what I was supposed to do. And I, I had no idea it was going to happen, but look what happened. Yeah. The, the, the chosen, we, I always, I always say was burst from failure. My movie was a, uh, that I came out in 2017 bombed at the box office. I was left with little to no future as a filmmaker while I was licking my wounds. God met me there. And, uh, and, and, and a man was, was uh, felt led by God from across the world out of the blue to reach out to me and just say to me, remember, it's not your job to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the loaves and fish. And that concept changed my life because I'm someone who did think about results and did think about trying to be uh, successful or famous or achieve something. And, uh, and I realized my goal, my job is just simply to make the best loaves and fish that I can. And the multiplication just isn't up to me. And that changed my life. And it's what allowed me to do this show in a way where I'm not influenced by the response. And I don't think the viewers would ever want me to be. I don't think, it, I don't think I should be on that kind of shaky ground. And so whether it's, um, you know, a YouTube video calling me a heretic or a YouTube video calling me the greatest thing ever and that the, my show has changed their life, 
my job is to not focus on that. My job is to make the best loaves and fish that I can, the best TV show that I can, that can be entertaining and impactful for believers and non-believers, that doesn't violate the character and intentions of Jesus and the Gospels. That's my focus, and I hope that I uh, that I never lose sight of that. Yeah, has that been? I was going to ask you in general the the vision for the chosen. Um, I'm not sure how much of it was fairly fully formed early, and you've been just trying to stay true to that throughout and and true to the Lord. Or if there has been some shaping, because maybe as you're as you're working on it, you're like, oh, we could do this better or do this differently. I'm, I'm guessing there's some of that going on. So anyway, I guess my question has to do with the, from the beginning. Has it been fairly? a straight path for you along those lines to just say, here's where we were hoping it would go. Here's what we're doing. And and that's the plan to kind of keep our head down and keep going at it like this rather than have other things come in. And has that been difficult for you at all? I have to say that that's been the one thing that, that I think God has kept me on that path. Uh, it, 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 it was the, the foundation of the show. We have it on t-shirts. It's, it's our corporate mandate. It's what we talk about all the time. We call it the five and two principle. We are solely focused on just making the best loaves and fish that we can, and the results are not up to us. And um, that I have maintained that, and may God have mercy on my soul if I don't, um, because we and I, I think, must. I think it's essential. It's not just a hope. It's, it's, it's a requirement, I believe, for this show, that if I ever start thinking about the results, if I ever start being influenced by avoiding criticism or gaining praise, or if the fact that when I first started writing the show with my co-writers, there were no viewers, no one knew about it. When I do it now, there's over a hundred million. If that changes what I'm doing when I'm looking at the blank, blank screen, a blank screen that doesn't care, by the way, about how successful the previous season was, or when I'm on set with the actors, if we start thinking about that, if we start adding any pressure because of the response, it will cripple me and it will cripple the show. Mm. And I, I, I'm happy to say that so far we've maintained that. And, and, and hopefully when I talk to you in a few years, uh, when the show is done, uh, the same will be true. Has working on the, I'm guessing it has, but how has working on the chosen affected you personally? Well, besides the fact that the show itself has been, and, and the experience of doing the show has been the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, our family has, has had the hardest five years of our lives. For, for multiple reasons during this time period. So that's been extremely challenging, but it's been refining. It's been, it's forced us to abide. It's forced us to cling to God even more, but also doing the show when you're, when you're seeking Jesus beyond just your normal Christian life, but also for the purpose of portraying him to the world, it has been a beautiful experience of learning even more about him and learning. Well, I think the number one thing that has, has stuck out to me the most is that he was an intimate God. That, that he knows you personally, and you see that in Scripture, and you see that in the historical com- uh, accounts, where he wasn't just a God of the masses and preaching to thousands of people. When he met someone individually, whether he was calling them to follow him, whether he was rebuking them, whether he was healing them, he always knew what their need was. He knew what was in their heart. He wanted to have a one-on-one relationship with them, and, uh, and that's true today. And so that's been a, that's, that's been a big, healthy reminder for me. My wife's a missionary kid, a uh, baby of eight siblings. They're spread out all over the world, speaking of which, and they all speak English, but then there's another language involved, usually Portuguese or Dutch or German or something. And I, I was just curious where The Chosen is with regard to that, because uh, I, had, I had read that there are plans, and I'm not sure how far along it is, for The Chosen to be available you know, in other languages. And, and that's probably its own huge project to be thinking about. Absolutely. So... Uh without getting too deep into the weeds of it, the Come and See Foundation uh, is a nonprofit that is uh, that people can donate to that helps with the production of the show, the, the funding of the, the production. But also, they have committed to translating the show into 600 languages and dubbing it into 100 languages. So 500 of those languages will be subtitled, 100 will be dubbed. By the end of this year, season one will be dubbed in well over 50 languages. And so it's it, it's growing rapidly. We'll be to 100 uh, very soon. And so, yeah, this, I mean, I just got back from Brazil a couple of weeks ago where I was seeing literally hundreds of thousands of people responding overwhelmingly to the show in their own language. And that is a, that is a jaw-dropping and, and, and humbling experience. Wow. How, how global and international this show has become. We're watching, I, I'll see pictures and video 
of the show playing on trucks in Madagascar because there's parts of Madagascar that don't have electricity and have never seen a movie, and they're watching the chosen in their native language. It's, it, it wrecks me. Wow. Amen. That's great stuff. How can people pray for you, Dallas? <laughs> well, I, I think number one, my, my family, I always say that it, it has been a challenge, um, whether just, just on a surface level, the, the amount of commitment it takes and the work it takes and the travel to get this done. But also from a spiritual perspective, I think it's, it's, it's not a surprise to anybody that, that uh, when you do something like this, you're going to face a lot of challenge. You're going to face a lot of spiritual struggles. And uh, we've, we've faced that more in the last five years than in the previous 20 years of our family combined. So I always, uh, I always ask for prayer for my family, for sure. Um, I think on a larger scale, uh, yeah, just that the show continues to, to have impact. But again, that's not up to us. So maybe just that I would continue to be focused on the work and, uh, and, and being faithful to the, to the calling, not on uh, the, the success. Well, it's great to make your acquaintance, Dallas, and uh, Lord willing, we'll get a chance to catch up with you again. And there's still several more seasons in the works. Is that correct? Yeah, there's going to be seven seasons total. Um, season four, we, I, I'm talking to you live from L.A. right now, where I just finished the post-production on episodes one through four of season four. The first three seasons are out now. You can find them anywhere. They're very easy to find. And uh, season four will be out in early 2024, unless, you know, I'm hit by a bus. But, but uh, unless that happens, we're, we're good. So, we'll pray yeah, against that. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Seven seasons total. That's great. Dallas, God bless you. Thank you so much for taking time, and uh, we'll, we'll be praying for the things you, you mentioned there, too. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And, yeah, and, uh, and, and I yeah, spent, spent some time with your brother. It was a couple weeks ago. It was great. He's a, he's a great man. Amen. All right. Well, we'll catch up with you again. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Dallas Jenkins, writer, producer, and director of The Chosen. You catch that Sunday nights at 8 on The CW. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM 560, WFIL, and WFIL.com. AM 560, WFIL, it's the Tim DeMoss Show, and time for Now That's Punny! Woohoo! All right, Dougie Fresh, ready to roll. You'll be interested because you're a music guy. I, I was just reading a documentary about the Motown era. The Motown sound. Yeah, and one of the stories was about two new artists who went to dinner to get to know each other. When they left dinner, it was dark out. So one artist says to the other, I don't like being out this late. It's kind of scary. Aren't you afraid? The other one said, No, I'm Gladys Knight. I'm Gladys Knight. Yeah. <laughs> Cute. By, by the way, Doug, how do you convert a goose into an R&B, you know, soul singer? I don't know. Well, well, you pull put, his tail? You put the goose... No, shake a tail feather. That's a good one. I know. You put the goose in an oven on low heat till it's Bill Withers. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, I've been working on getting over my addiction to hiking. You? Really? Yeah, I'm not out of the woods yet. <laughs> I'm getting there. By the way, speaking of uh, addictions and stuff, it's no shame. Um, I've been actually a member of a local plastic surgery addicts group uh, for for, ma- <laughs> for many years. They've done terrible work. <laughs> At last night's meeting, there were a lot of new faces, <laughs> which is disappointing, actually, because you know, we're not supposed to worry about that stuff. I know, Doug. Uh, I'm planning on starting a new job next week. In, Another one in Seoul. I hope it's a good carrier move. What? Thank you. Tip your waitress. Enjoy the veal. We'll be here not much longer. Mm-hmm. Doug, how did chess players celebrate a big win? Uh, they pound their chest? Close. With a chest bump. With a chest bump. Yes. <laughs> Doug, what did the anteater need after eating too many fire ants? An uh, antacid. Yes, you you, you an stole antacid. You barely got it out, but you did. I said it. Right? I said it. And, and <laughs> thank you for grading yourself appropriately. Uh-huh. The other day, I accidentally took our cat's medication. Don't ask me how. Don't ask me how. <laughs> oh, my, my, what a beautiful head of bone you have. <laughs> Doug, the, the doctor, I had an appointment this week, and he just told me my left leg is double-jointed at the hip, knee, and ankle. I didn't know. I, I could have kicked myself. 
Doug, I got food poisoning last week. A lot's happened this past week. Wow. Which I had noticed. It was from a German food truck in my neighborhood. It was the worst. The worst? The worst. That's the name of the truck? The food poisoning was the, was the worst. <laughs> you know what the worst was? The worst was... The worst was trying to get around the sports complex on I Tuesday. Heard, impossible. Heard, yes. Impossible. Mm-hmm. It took me 40 minutes to drive from the 45 minutes to the Phillies to the Flyers. I had a reason to stop at the Flyers briefly. 45 minutes to go, what is that, three blocks? I know. Doug, uh, Tina told me the other day that she loves me, but she says you need to stop. Stop it with the, the jokes about leftover food. So I told her I have a quick cold turkey. There's no leftover food in your house. Come on. <laughs> That's the other joke. <laughs> like once you have been to a food court, by the way, once you've been to, been to a food court, you've been to the mall. You've been to the mall. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of food, my idea of a balanced diet, a bag of Cheetos in each hand. Actually, a bag of tortilla chips in each hand with some salsa nearby. Really? Yeah. Regular Doritos? or do No, you like no. The, uh... I go cheap. Walmart's got these uh, these oh, white tortilla no chips, dollar ninety seven a bag. They're just as good, salty. It's fine by me. Okay, a little salsa, and we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Doug, how did the Invisible Man get cured? Uh, they threw paint on him. That's a great guess, but wrong. Okay, he went to the ICU. Isn't it delightful? <laughs> I see you, <laughs> Doug. Uh, <clears throat> speaking of which, last one here, <clears throat> kind of the opposite. There was a on a serious note. There was a season in our our lives. Where we didn't have enough money to pay the electric bill. Been there. Those were dark times. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it for now. That's punny. Really? That's it? I think that's... Well, you know what, Doug? I used to have a fear of speed bumps. Oh, boy. But I'm slowly getting over it. (laughs) Such levity. You remind me of the Three Stooges. Hey! My kids love that one. They can't get enough of it. (laughs) The speed bump. (laughs) Yes. Let's get out of here. All right, see ya. See ya. Have a million dollar weekend. WFIL. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 to 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.